So we're going to look at a wonderful portion of Scripture this morning that I've been looking at myself, uh, and I found incredibly encouraging. So if you can find your Bibles, Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 32, very simply, it says this, He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isn't that an incredible promise from God, that He would graciously give us all things? And I've been thinking about that, and I'd like to just answer that question this morning. What does that mean, that God will graciously give us all things that we need? And I want to do that as we come to the end of this year, and just reflect on this last year with you for a couple of minutes, and then look forward to the next academic year as well. Uh, We've been doing some reviewing with our leadership team, and I just wanted to say that we're so grateful for this last year in terms of what God has done. Um, We've seen growth in the church in so many different areas, not only numerically, but also there's financial stability that we have really are so appreciative of that God has been a great blessing to us. Um, A lot of the kids are away, but the one area that's grown amazingly this year is the kids' ministry. And as you can see, uh, Rachel is heavy with child, and so she's going to be going on maternity leave uh, in October. And so we've been able to bring on an intern to help with the kids from September. You'll meet her shortly. Her name is Sarah Crow. She's an American girl, and she's going to come and help us with the kids' ministry uh, from September. We're grateful to God about that. Our worship teams have grown. Our media teams have grown. Uh, Many, many practical areas of the life of the church have grown. And so to help facilitate that in the new year, we've taken on Chris. Chris over there is going to be coming on as an intern with us in October to help facilitate the sound, the creative part of the church. And uh, we're looking forward to that. So welcome, Chris. And if you don't know Chris, please uh, introduce yourself to him. Uh, Also, our youth ministry has grown, and we're going to be taking on a a youth worker who I can't announce right now, but I'll announce later. We have got someone in mind, and all the details are just being worked out. So we have a youth youth worker starting in October as well, September, October, which is a brilliant, brilliant thing. So all these are wonderful areas of growth, and we're so grateful to God for that. But I think what I'm most grateful about is the sense of joy in the life of the church church. That for me is what I look for most of all. Do people want to stay after the meeting? Do they want to hang out? Do they want to drink coffee with each other? Do they want to come to the barbecue? Do they want to pray together? Do they want to meet together in small groups? And I have to say, when I look back on the last year, there's a great sense of joy in the church. And I'm so grateful for that. That is what uh, I'm most, most grateful for. And of course, if we've seen some people get saved this year, people come to faith, people get baptized, and many have have grown in their walk with the Lord Jesus and are are walking courageously with Him. And that's for me, is the most rewarding thing of all, is to see that in people's lives. Um, Next year will be our 20th birthday as a church. Isn't that amazing? 20 years of uh, leading this church. And uh, I still remember Helen and I with our two little boys, age three and age one, we arrived at the Watford Junction Station with two two suitcases. Uh, Matt Redman came from Soul Survivor, met us, and we went to our rented home, and we started meeting within about six weeks. We started meeting in our lounge with two other couples, and we were full of faith, and we thought, yes, God, is this ever going to work? And we, we were full of faith that it was, but there was also that kind of sense of, uh, we're not quite sure it actually is going to work out. And yet here we are 20 years later, and we can look back on God's faithfulness in an amazing way. So it's a really cool thing. 
And so we're going to mark next year with a number of celebrations. So we're going to have a whole year of celebrating next year. I've invited some of our friends to come and preach and minister. So Wayne will be back. Andrew Ollerton will be back. My friend Peter Rasmussen, who's a, a friend that I work with in Denmark. I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to come and celebrate with us. And uh, next year we will begin our renovation project outside. Um, someone was, we, we were looking, uh, we were interviewing someone this week and they walked in and they said, you know, this is really amazing on the inside, but the outside is quite, is quite, um, mundane. So I said to this lady, yes, it is. And uh, we are going to be looking at the outside of the building next year. And we're going to raise some money and renovate the outside. We're going to renovate inside and extend our coffee shop area, um, uh, our mezzanine area inside the building and redo the children's room. So that will be part of our 20th year project. And I hope that uh, you'll be filled with faith for all of these things. So how then, if God has done all this wonderful stuff in the last 20 years and He's got still stuff for us to do in the next 20 years, how can we have confidence and approach the coming year full of faith? Well, Romans 8.32 gives us a foundation, a promise on which we can do that. And it simply says that God, who did not spare His own Son, will He not give you, graciously give you all things that you need? It's an amazing promise. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we anticipate the future. He did not spare his own son, but he's promised to graciously give us all things. And this, for me, is such a beautiful promise. It's such an all-encompassing promise because what it really means that in your life and in my life, at every turn and circumstance of our lives, there has never been and there never will be any circumstance in your life where that promise is not relevant for you. That's what it really means. If you think about that, that is absolutely incredible. No matter what you go through, good, bad, or indifferent, God's promise to you is that He will graciously give you all things that you need. That's incredible. And so I want to look at three things in the next 15 minutes. Well, the next 10 minutes. Three little things. The foundation of the promise, what the promise actually is, and what does God mean when He says He's going to give us all things? So the foundation of the promise is there in the verse. It says, God who did not give, even spare His own Son will graciously give you all things. The foundation of this incredible promise is the absolute uh, immeasurable love that God had for His own Son is the foundation of the promise that He will provide for you everything that you need. That's, that's why we can depend on His ongoing kindness. That's why we can depend on His future goodness in our lives, because the basis of the promise is that He, he gave us His Son, who He loved with an immeasurable uh, love that none of you, us will ever understand. That's the basis of the promise, the foundation of the promise. And uh, there's a, uh, I love what Papa says. He says, this is the heavenly logic that, that, that we can enjoy out of these verses. The heavenly logic is this, because God did not withhold His Son from us, the, the conclusion of that is that He will give us everything that we need for our lives and for those of us that trust Him. And so it simply means that our confidence in the future can be, is absolutely based on this fact that Jesus was given for us. 
Uh, Acts 2.22 Acts puts it in um, a different way. It simply puts it like this. It says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. Saying the same thing. Or Isaiah 53. He has borne our grief and carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Remember the story of, of Abraham's life? He lifted up the, the knife over his son's chest, Isaac. But God spared, said, no, don't, don't, don't kill your son. God spared Isaac because there was a ram in the thicket. And in the same way, the picture is that God has the knife over his own son, and he doesn't withhold Jesus from us, but he gives his son as the sacrifice for us. Now, if you think like me, and if you are a father like me, you would want to ask this question. I think it's a good question to ask. Why would God want to offer up his own son? What kind of father would willingly sacrifice his son? It's a good question. But he has the answer. The answer is given in verse 32 again. He has the logic of heaven. If, if God himself did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. You see, that's, that's the foundation. There, there it is. Isaiah saw that hundreds of years before. Remember the prophet Isaiah? In Isaiah 53, he says this of pointing forward to Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the punishment brought peace, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away from him, everyone, each to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So he has the point. He has the very, very basic point. God did not spare his own because it's the, simply the only way that he could spare us, all of us, was by offering up his own son. So what does that mean? It means it's an incredible promise for you. It's an incredible promise for me. It means that Jesus has borne on his body all my guilt, all your guilt, all my condemnation, all your condemnation, all my corruption, all my tendency to do the wrong thing, all your tendency to do the wrong thing. God is, Jesus has borne that on his body. And what does that mean? It means that you and I stand forgiven. We stand reconciled. We stand justified. We stand as sons and daughters. We stand as those that are heirs to every good promise that God promised Jesus. You and I are heirs of those same promises because of what Jesus has done. What an incredible promise to us. Now, for me, that would even be enough that Jesus has done that for, 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 for me and he's done that for you. That's incredible. But it doesn't stop there because Paul says, he doesn't just stop there. He says he has the, there's an additional promise and he says because Jesus has done all of that for you and God will graciously, in addition to that, God will graciously give you all things as well. Wow. Freely, graciously, kindly will give you all things. Now, I've spoken of this before, but this is the logic that Paul is using here. He's saying the big thing God has given us, he's already given us Jesus' son. That's the big thing. That's the hard thing for God to do. God, who loved his own son with an immeasurable, eternal love, chose to sacrifice him and give him up for you, for, for me, every one of us, so that we could have eternal love. That's the big thing that God has done. That is the difficult thing for God to do, but he's done it. 
And so now what's the easy thing for God to do? To give you all things. It's not difficult for God. Why? Because he's already done the great difficult thing in offering up his son. And now the easy thing for God is to give you all things that you need for your life. It's the same logic that he uses in Matthew chapter 6. Remember we looked at it? We were praying this morning. It was mentioned again. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Remember? Why do we not need to be anxious about anything? Because God has done the big thing already. <laughs> He's done the big thing already. And the, in, in, in uh, chapter 6, it says in Matthew, If God clothes the grasses of the field, which is alive to, uh, today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, are ye of little faith? What's the point? The, Paul is, the point is Jesus saying, God's done the big stuff already. He's made the universe. He's, he's clothed the, the fields. He's, he loves all of his creation infinitely. And that's the, that's the big thing he's done. The easy thing for him is to provide clothes for you. You see, the disciples were doubting that, that God could do that. And, it's God, and Jesus is saying, no, come on. Don't you see? God's done the big thing. And the little thing he'll do for you every single day. In the same way, Paul is saying here, the big thing, God's done. He's given you his son. That was difficult for him because he loved him eternally. He and the Father were one. Now the easy thing, he'll give you all things that you need. So lastly, I've got five minutes left. Lastly, what does this really mean that in Christ we will have all things? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my life seems to be out of sync with that promise. Doesn't it? your life sometimes to be, seem to be a little bit out of sync with that in, in, in your experience? I mean, there are things that we can think of more that would be good for us and that a gracious God surely would give us. For example, that we were always well. That all of us enjoyed good health all of the time. Surely a good, gracious God who's going to give us all things would give us health all of the time. Or success at work. Perhaps you're struggling in your job and you're wanting something different for your life and you cry out to the Lord and say, God, please give me what I need. Right now I need a new job. And you've promised me that you'll give me all things. I need a new job. And you're not seeing breakthrough yet with your job. Maybe you are a mom and a dad and your children don't believe. And it's painful for you. And you're saying, God, you promised me all things, and yet my children don't trust you with their lives, and, and I want to see faith for them. I want breakthrough. So what does it mean when Paul says that God will give us all things? Well, I think the key is in what we sang this morning, and it's in Romans 8.31. It comes just before Romans 8.32. And if you've got your finger in your Bible, it's what Paul says. He says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? That's the key. Well, you might respond and say to me, well, and I can think of quite a few people that are against me. <laughs> I can think of quite a few people. In fact, um, Luke 12, 21, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, You will be de delivered up even by your parents and your brothers and your relatives and friends, and some of you will even be put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake. Jesus is saying that. Well, that sounds like a lot of opposition to me. Doesn't it sound like opposition to you? Well, even Paul Later in Romans chapter 8, he says this in verse 36, For your sake we are being killed day by day. 
So what is Paul talking about? He's recognizing that there's suffering and hard things. He's recognizing that these things happen. So what is he meaning when he says God's going to give us all things? Well, I think it simply means this. If God is for you, who can successfully be against you? That's what I think Paul is saying. You might have some trouble for a time, but in the long run, who can successfully be against you if God is for you? This is incredibly encouraging. And I want to, I, I want to ask you, I'm pleading for, with all of you this morning that you actually believe this and, and, and put it into practice in your life because, my friends, there are so many disappointments in life. There are so many discouragements. There are so many setbacks in every single one of our lives. If you do not believe this in your Noah, deep inside of your heart, you're not going to get through those difficult things. You, you will perish. You need to believe by faith that God works all things together for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. That is all things. Chris, that's all things, my friend. I say that with love. Even a brain tumor cannot stop your destiny when God is for you. I say that my own son. I see the hand of God all over his life. God will give you all things that you need. It means you are not going to be opposed. In the long term, you will, you will overcome because Christ has a destiny for you. That's what it means. What does Paul say in 8, Romans 8.37? He says, Therefore... We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. What does he say? He says, no tribulation, no distress, no persecution, famine, nakedness, and sword. In all of those things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying that we are overwhelmingly conquered, not by escaping those terrible things. Those things will happen. Jesus said, in life, you're going to have all of these problems but we can watch God turn those things that rob our joy and rob our sense of destiny and ultimately they serve the good that He has for our lives. This is a mystery, man. I don't understand this perfectly, but I know it's true. I see God has done it in my own life. It's a profound thing that He does. And you know what He says? Here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. He even says this, all things includes death. Death. Yes, death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, For all things are yours. Life, death, all things are yours in Christ. What does he mean when he says even death is given to us? He's saying it's not a gift that you can refuse. All of us have to go through this thing of death. but We can't reject dying. But what he's saying is it's not, it's not the end. It's a gift to you in that it's a triumphant gateway into, 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 into eternal glory that you're going to be with Christ. It's a gift in that sense. Even death is not the end. Come on. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. It just doesn't end. You don't go into nothingness when you die. There's eternal glory waiting for you. I've said this before. When Michael Eaton, who used to preach in this church, died a couple of years ago, Tina, his daughter, was in the room. And he had a massive heart attack and he was dying. He was, he was leaving this world. And um, 
He turned to Tina and he said, can you hear them singing? And she said, I was looking for the radio in the room. I was looking for the radio. He was hearing eternal glory. It's not the end, my friends. You don't have to fear. I I don't know how long I'm going to live. I hope another 20 years. But if I don't, what what is is awaiting on the other side? Like the curtain is taken back. And what is awaiting on the other side? Christ, eternal glory, fellowship with him. Even death, Paul says, is yours. You don't have to fear it. It's yours. And you know what? He says, these things are promises for our future good and kindness and grace towards us in our lives. And they're so overwhelming and that we can, we can absolutely know that they are true. Why? Because God, who loved his son eternally, with an eternal, undying love, gave him to you and gave him to me so that we wouldn't perish, but we would have eternal life. That is the basis of the promise. And Paul is saying you can be as sure that God is going to provide for you as you are that God loved his own son with an eternal love. Doesn't that encourage you? That's the promise we have for the future. That's why we can look at 2020 with confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. Knowing that God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us will not graciously, he not graciously give us all things that we need. That you and I are conquerors in Christ and nothing can take away the love that he has and has promised to us. Amen? God bless you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you met with us. I want to thank you, Lord, for encouraging us this morning. I want to thank you for every good thing that you've lavished upon our lives. Thank you for this amazing promise that you would graciously give us all things that we need. And we can be confident of that promise because you have already graciously given us your son that you loved with an eternal, undying love. Lord, help us. Root us in this truth deep in our hearts that we can face the future with confidence knowing that we can successfully and are successfully more than conquerors because of the great love that you have for us and you've had for your son. And I pray, Lord, that whatever we face this year, the good things, the indifferent things, the wonderful things, the times of great joy, the times of pain, we thank you, Lord, that ultimately even death is a gateway for us into eternal glory that we will forever be with you. And so we, we come with grateful hearts, we come with confidence, we come with gratitude, knowing that underneath our lives are your sovereign arms that uphold us in every way. And we rejoice. We say thank you, Lord, for every good thing that you've done in our lives. And thank you for what we're going to enjoy next year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.